First question we ask everybody who come on the show, when you first got to the NBA, who was the first person to bust your ass? Who was the first person to like show you like this is the highest level of the playoff? Ooh, that was um there was a lot of them. <laughs> Actually, before I got into the NBA, all the pros would come back to Chicago and play. But I would say my first guy probably was Mo Cheeks. Mm, uh, Cheeks. Fellow Chicagoan. Yeah. Fellow Chicagoan. Yeah, we, my first couple of games, I played well. We opened up uh, against Milwaukee. Quinn Buckner, I actually uh, played against him my first game. And did all right my first game, but Quinn was somebody that you really idolized because yeah, super OG. Yeah, he went to Thorn Ridge. You know, was undefeated at Thorn Ridge. Didn't lose in high school. Known as one of the greatest teams ever in yeah. Illinois basketball history. Yep. Yeah. And and then he goes to Indiana and goes undefeated at Indiana. Yeah. <laughs> you know, high school and college. You know, they don't talk about that. Well, you know, it's like Quinn, in my opinion, Quinn don't get enough respect as a winner, right. you know, in, in the model that he established. So that was my first game. So I'm walking out and I'm looking at him like, oh, this is going to be a bad <laughs> night. <laughs> this is going to be a bad night. But lucky enough, I, I did all right that night. And then, um, you know, I had a couple of good games. And then we played Philly and, and Mo Cheek stepped on the court. And, you know, so all my Chicago, my one-two between the legs, my crossover, all that, he just sat there He's and was like, nah, it. I ain't going for none of that. Yo, 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 live on location. We in that ATL, shawty. I got the blackest one with me, D-Miles. And this is a very special one, near and dear to my heart, because I got my OG, my man Zeke, Isaiah Thomas, man, the legendary Chi-Town, Baller, Hall of Fame. Don't be distracted. We live on location. It's a little noisy outside. They doing something outside. The CNN Towers here. But we straight. We got the legend in the building. Isaiah International, y'all. Check Bad it out. Bad boy. Bad boy. <laughs> When I was in high school, uh, one of the accomplishments that I had was playing against your coach at St. Joe mm-hmm. High School. And one of the biggest things that I always took with me after the game we played them, he told me he he admired how good I played the game. Yeah. And that was like a accomplishment. I'm like, this is Isaiah Thomas, head coach. The history, I know so much about him and so forth. And just to play that, they beat us. <laughs> and I think that was his last – Championship in Illinois. Uh, I think that was one. I want to say two thousand. Maybe it was two thousand or ninety nine. Right, but, right. Uh, that was the last championship your uh, coach won. What made you choose St. Joe's as a high school to go to? That actually was really my my last choice, and my my mom and my brothers them actually chose it for me, mm-hmm. uh, which they did my whole path. I originally wanted to go to Weber or Gordon Tech. Mm-hmm. Uh, my brothers played in, in the Catholic League. My oldest brother, Lord Henry, still has one of the highest scoring games in the Catholic League. Mm. And so I grew up, you know, he went to St. Phillips. DePaul at that time was a high school. DePaul was a high school and a college. Then they had Loyola, they had Fenwick, so forth and so on. So that was my whole upbringing in terms of following my older brother, watching him play. So uh, I wanted to go to, to Weber or Gordon Tech. Leotha Scott was at Gordon Tech. And at Weber, they had uh, Ricky Wilson 
and uh, Derek Thomas. And Derek Thomas had went to Resurrection. I mean, his, his brother ended up going to Resurrection, going to Indiana. So I wanted to go to Weber, but I remember uh, Coach, Coach Yor was the coach there. And Coach K, I don't think a lot of people know that Coach K went to Weber High School mm-hmm. on the west side. So I remember uh, taking a visit to, to Weber High School, and uh, you know, I was like, this is where I want to go to school at. And I remember the, the varsity coach looked at me and he said, you, you too little, man. You, <laughs> you too small. I don't know if you're going to be able to play. And I was like, well, I, I think I can play. He was like, no, nah, I, I think you're too small. So then we tried to go to Gordon Tech, the same thing. And there was a Christmas tournament at St. Joseph High School, and my grade school team, Resurrection, was playing in it. You know, Mr. Pingator came over, introduced himself to, you know, my mom and my brothers and everything, and said, you know, I, I think he can come to school here. It was far, man. I, You know, going from the west side of Chicago out to St. Joe's, felt like that trip took me, it took us two hours to get out there. Yeah. But... He said the right things to my mom, said the right things to my brothers, and for you know it, I was at St. Joe's. Him as a coach, like this, he's one of the best coaches ever to coach in Illinois' history. His program, like for over 30, 40 years that he done built and the players that he done brought out there. What from his program that you took from it to prepare you to go to Indiana, like to go to the next level? Because I know you had a lot of success, and his program is like legendary. I was fortunate enough to play for three coaches who all had the same belief system. So my bitty basketball coach, Johnny Gage, he believed in passing game, where you pass, move, cut, and it was basically free-flowing. So what they call positionless basketball now, that's what we were playing back then, and that's how we grew up. You never yeah. went to the court and said, hey, you the, you the power right. forward, you the center, <laughs> yeah. you the – you know, so the label of positionless basketball, I was playing that way in grade school. Then when I went to high school, Mr. Pingator, that's – remember they used to call it passing game. Right. And that's the way he played, and that's what he taught. And then when I went to Indiana, that's what Coach Knight taught, yeah. you know, pass, move, cut, think – free-flowing so I never grew up in a system where we had plays yeah. like I never only time I called the play is when I got to the NBA yeah. and the only time I ever ran pick and roll is when I got to the NBA mm-hmm. because most of the time you was passing moving passing, cutting cut. yeah. setting screens moving without the basketball so I remember my, my rookie season they gave me the playbook <laughs> I was like what is this <laughs> I had never seen, never a, seen a, a playbook, playbook before. you know yeah. and if you if you go back and you look at any of our games that we played at Indiana or even against uh, when you played against my high school coach, they never used the board to draw things up on. They just always talked you through what you had to do out on the floor. Yeah. So the verbal communication and getting to know your teammates' tendencies is what you were really taught. Yeah, I feel like the reason they beat us at State, the adjustments – he made throughout the game. Yeah. Like, he steady made adjustments. Like, it was like something he did in the first quarter. You didn't see it in the second, third, or fourth. Yeah. Just to be in that scenery of that, yeah. that, was, that was a blessing. I know I understand St. Joe's, but, like, Indiana. Like, yeah. It could yeah. have been anybody else. Like, Bobby Knight in Indiana, like, our skin color don't really run yeah, that way yeah, yeah, too yeah, far. Yeah. <laughs> but for you to go there and have a success there, what made you choose Indiana? So, and was it anybody else that could have got you? So I was supposed to go to DePaul. And, Mark uh, McGuire. 
So Mark Aguirre and I, we literally grew up two blocks from each other. Yeah. So they had just they they had uh, Terry Cummins, Teddy Grubbs, and myself. We were all going to join Mark Aguirre at DePaul, and we Crazy. were going to have a powerhouse. Crazy. Um, you know, Ray Meyer was was recruiting me, and then Coach Knight came to the house. I never forget that visit. Coach Knight came to the house, and you know when you're getting recruited out of high school. I mean, we was dirt poor, yeah. and, you know, all our visits had to be in the daytime because we didn't have no lights. Yeah. So, and you couldn't tell the recruiters, hey, man, we ain't got no lights. Right, right. <laughs> <laughs> At night, yeah. right? And i never forget this one coach came. I won't name him in school, but he came in, had a briefcase, opened up the briefcase, and now he said it was $100,000 in there. Now, I'd never seen $100,000 in my life. None yeah. of us had ever seen that much. So Literally the bag. Yeah, it, it could have been, been $50 in know, there. Yeah. But, you know, we we like, yeah, yeah, yeah. So we we jumping up and down. We high-fiving and everything else. And you look out the corner of your eye, and there's this one person ain't moving. And, oh, and that was my mom. Yeah. You know, she was like, now we got no lights. And y'all y'all understand when I say this. We got that jug of water that's sitting in the refrigerator. (laughs) And it wasn't sugar water. It was just plain water. Plain water. And that's all we had. I mean, literally, that's all we had. And and I remember my mom getting up, walking over to the briefcase, closed closed it, it, and said, my son's not for sale. Mm-hmm. And I was like, oh, oh, no, no, no! I'm, I'm, I'm like, mom, no, <laughs> what, what you doing? Like, like, yeah. And you know, my brothers and everybody was like, no, you know, her nickname. Sometimes we would call it an old lady. Like, mm-hmm. you know, be like, you know, it's my dear, dear yeah. old lady. Like, oh, what yeah. you doing? She's like, nah, nah. And she, and she kicked him out. Mm-hmm. Everybody was offering us everything. Playing time. You're gonna start your freshman year. Everything else. Coach Knight came to the house. And he walked in, he came in with Wayne Embry and Quinn Buckner. Mm. <laughs> and I was like, okay. You know, so that so that just set the tone yeah, there. You know, yeah. <laughs> and, you know, he had his jacket on and and we sat down and during the whole time that he was recruiting me, he never talked to me. He was talking directly to my mother. Mm-hmm. And he said, and I'll never forget, he said, I'm gonna offer you and your son three things. He said, A, he's gonna be a gentleman. B, I'll teach him everything that I know about basketball. And C, he'll get a great education. And me and my brothers, we were sitting around. We looked at each other. We was like, well, we ain't going to Indiana. Right. <laughs> you know? And, one thing. Yeah. And, and before you know it, you know, my mom was kind of shaking her head and nodding. And I was like, oh, this is not good. And gazing back good. and forth. <laughs> and, and, you know, I most – most kids at during that period of time, you know, you you say, "Hey, you had the press conference. I made my decision. I'm going to a blank school." Right? My mom called the press conference. Me and her were sitting there. She said, "My son has made his decision. <laughs> <laughs> He's yeah. going to Indiana University." So your mom announced. My mom announced. I never it. heard that before. Like no, I wasn't even smiling. <laughs> I, was, I was sitting there, my head was down. I was like. <laughs> Because, <laughs> you know, I I had never been to Indiana, right. you know, and it was like, so that summer I made the Pan Am team and I hadn't even graduated from, 
from high school yeah, yet. Yeah. So I'm on the Pan Am team, and we down there practicing. And now I got to graduate. So I'm afraid to ask Coach Knight, hey, you know, can I, can I go to graduation, my high school graduation? Dude said, what time y'all graduate? I said, well, you know, graduation's at 1 o'clock. He said, okay, well, be back by 7 because we got a night practice. So <laughs> I flew to my graduation, graduated, then flew back for practice for the Pan Am team. Wow. Mm. I was like, wow. We're in the point where you was in Indiana and you was with Coach Knight. You was like, what did my mom and I get myself into? Oh, that was day one. by this tough coach, by Coach Knight. That, that was day one. So, so Mike Woodson, <laughs> Mike Woodson re- was responsible for recruiting me. Woody. Right? Yeah. And I was like, i never forget, like, after the second week of practice, I called him over, and you know how we do, right? Yeah. I called him over, and I was like, hey, man, you lied to me. Like, <laughs> I, don't, I don't think I can do that. <laughs> Just like what you said. Yeah, I was like, hey, man, we, we got to talk. He's like, see, what you mean? And, you know, so, you know, I, I had him up in the corner. I was like, hey, man, like, you know, why you ain't tell me the truth, man? Yeah. <laughs> He's like, I, I told you the truth. I said, Mike, this this is different than the way you described it. <laughs> and he's like, no, it's going to be all right. And eventually it was because what ended up happening was I was a high school kid, like all of us was, where we, we said we wanted it tough, but we really wanted to take the easy way. Right. Yeah. Right? We didn't want to go to class all the time. Mm-hmm. We didn't want to be at practice on time all the time. We didn't want to practice hard all the time. And the only thing that coach was really making you do was do all the things that your mom and your dad was making you do at home. And you thought when you got to college, you was going to have some freedom. And he was like, no, 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 that's not how it's going. Like, you're going to be at school every day. These are your classes. And by the way, somebody going to be checking to see if you're in class. And if you're not in class, then that's your, (laughs) you know. And those things helped me tremendously. And I... I look back and I just say I'm so lucky and fortunate that I had a coach and coaches who had the courage to coach me. Mm-hmm. They weren't trying to be my friend. They weren't trying to hang out with me. They was like, look, this is what you got to do. You got to be a good person. You got to go to school and you got to go out there and compete. Mm-hmm. That was it. What relief did you get after you won the national championship? Like as a team, I know Bobby. He running you. He he on your ass. He, he he just on you every day. And you know you you always want that reward at the end. Yeah. So for a team like y'all, y'all won it. That's the reward. Y'all went through hell to yeah. get to sunshine. Yeah. I mean, like Q Q played for me, you know, in in New York, <laughs> and and he knows the kind of coach that I was. So when that when I say this, he'll understand it. To have great freedom. You also have to have discipline, discipline, self-discipline. And what coach allowed us was great freedom. Now, think about this when I say this. We had no plays. We had no side-out-of-bound plays. And the people that we played against who ran patterns, like my high school coach, y'all, y'all had a patterned offense. Yeah. So the adjustments, it's easy to, to shut down patterns mm-hmm. because you know where the person's going to be. be. You know where he's supposed to go. You know, it's field goal percentage, such and such. And so you, it's hard to guard a person where you don't know if he's going right or left. You don't know if he's getting ready to shot fake or anything. So the freedom that coach allowed us, 
it made you have self-discipline, which was extremely hard to learn how to resist making that fancy play, (laughs) right, or how to resist taking that bad shot. And I I can remember coming to the bench playing for coaching, and Q, you'll remember me saying this, right? You would sit down, and he would say, can you make a shot right now? You you know, game, you down two. (laughs) You down two. It's like two minutes to go. We need a bucket. And it's like, hey, can you make a shot right now? (laughs) Right? And, And if you say, yeah, it's like, all right, now. Play for you, <laughs> and you better make this, this shot, shot. Yeah, right. But by the way, if you can't make this shot, I remember we we sitting in the huddle, right? And Coach asks Whitman, he goes, "Wit, can you make a shot right now?" And Whitman goes, "Nah, Coach, I can't make a shot." Right now. <laughs> <laughs> Don't put that pressure on me. He's like, like "Nah, I can't make <laughs> a shot right now." <laughs> you know. And so then, then he looks at me and he goes, and he called me Pee Wee. He's like, "Pee Wee, can you make a shot?" I said, I can't make a shot, but I think if I get by him, I can make this layup, <laughs> you know? Mm-hmm. And and so he was like, okay, well, we're going to run the shot clock down. We're going to run the clock down to X, and, and then I want to, you know, clear out and try to beat your man to the basket. And that that's how he coached. So the confidence that he instilled required you to have great self-discipline. So all the ways that I grew up playing and the coaches that I had, they gave you great freedom, but it also made you have to have such discipline where yeah. you had to be in shape. Like you say, Coach Knight would run us. Or in practice, I never ran a sprint. We came to practice, and we would practice an hour 45 every day on the, on the nose. Yeah. And now every drill and everything was intense, yeah. right? Now, if you got fatigued or tired doing practice, then you better do some work on your own. Offside. To, to, Off. yeah. yeah. But, but that's, that's how I grew up playing. That's how I learned the game. You win a championship and you decide to go to the NBA. Mm-hmm. You get drafted by the Detroit Pistons. Yeah. Was it a possibility it could have been somebody else? Did was, you want to go to somebody else? I wanted to come home. You wanted I, to go to I Chicago. Want, I wanted to go to Chicago. And uh, you wound up going to Detroit. Yeah. I mean, because growing up in Chicago, Detroit's the enemy, right? Yeah. I mean, it's like the 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 Green Bay Packers, the Detroit Lions. Somebody go tell Anthony Davis that yeah. man. We seen him sitting fields. Game, yeah, yeah, the Packers game with Green yeah. Bay stuff on. I like. I was. I'm appalled. Ad, yeah, we I'm, need to talk. The Bears yeah. fans on yeah. the line. So I'm like, hey. So Mark and I. And I don't know if this has ever happened again in the draft where two kids grow up in the same neighborhood and they won and two in the draft. Mm-hmm. And we both wanted to go, go to Chicago. And Chicago had two picks in the draft that year. They were drafting four and six. Well, y'all couldn't make that far. We was trying. I mean, we was trying. I mean, every interview. So y'all trying to sabotage? Oh, I, I sabotaged every interview. I, I remember, I, remember uh, I went to Dallas, and Dallas had the number one pick. And Dick Motta was the coach. And I watched him coach the Chicago Bulls. And I remember him asking me, um, who do you think the best player in the draft is? I said, oh, Mark Aguirre. You know, Mark, Mark, Mark's the best player in the draft. Because at, at that time, he was. Yeah. And he said, you know, do you think you can play here for me in Dallas? And I said, no, I don't, I don't think I would fit your system. Because your system is geared towards forwards you know Bob Love Chet Walker you you know everything you run is for the forwards 
and I'm not going to be a guard that comes down and pass it and go stand in the corner. That That's not the way that yeah, I, I know how to play. Yeah. So he got mad, and I was happy that he got mad <laughs> because that means I, I wasn't going. I'm doing everything I can to slide to number closer four. To, one pick closer right? to shot time. Yes, Detroit had two, New Jersey had three, Chicago had four. So I'm like, okay, well I can mess. I, you know, I can go in there and just tell Detroit I, I don't want to play here. So I remember I sat down with Jack McCloskey and Will Robinson. And Jack McCloskey was asking me all these questions, and I was intentionally answering every one of them wrong. I was saying them <laughs> wrong. Uh, and finally, at the end, he looked at me and goes, I know what you're doing. He said, but I'm going to draft you at number two if you're there, and you're going to love it here. And I was like, oh, man. He walked out. Will Robinson walks in, and Will goes, I'll never forget. He says, champ, if you're lucky enough, to get here to Detroit, he said, this place will love you like no other. Mm. He said, I know you loved in Chicago. He said, but if you come here to Detroit, this place will love you like no other. Mm -hmm. And he was right. Yeah, he definitely was he right. He was right. He was right. The Bad Boys team, you get this label as a Bad Boys team. Y'all rough and tough and all that stuff. But my history of the game, the game I grew up loving, like, all the players from, like, I'm talking about y'all had 12 players and the personalities, the characters, the the game from everybody in NBA history. is so many personalities. Can you speak on some of the, the teammates you had and then, like, the Joe Dumars, the Robins, the John Sallys, the yeah. Mahorns? Like, they are a big personality in our league, and, you know, we grew up on that. So uh, the team that you had the symbol to win them championships with, can you speak up on them? You know, it, I'm glad you say the team that we had because we we identified and we represented ourselves as a team. Yeah. We, we, we came as one unit with one thought to win the game, not as individuals trying to, to be great within our team. It truly was a team concept that allowed everyone to be known. And, you know, we used to say, let it be known. Everybody gets a chance at a slice of the pie. But if you're an individual walking in, then you get all the glory. Yeah. So it, I am happier today about the way people think about our team. Yeah. Because all the people that you just named, those guys were, you know, six men coming off the bench, Buddha, Vinny, yeah, you know. Vinny, Michael uh, Rob and Sally. Yeah. I mean, so, so from a team standpoint, how many players – that played on a championship team that still have the name notoriety that our team had. So yeah. top to bottom. Top, top to, to bottom. bottom. So yeah. that's how we marched and that's how we played. Now, it was a league that was moving towards individuality and we resisted that. Yeah. And I, I talk about Lambeer the most yeah. uh, because, you know, Lambeer and think about this. Lambeer, a white center, won back-to-back -back championships – has won three or four championships in the WNBA, mm -hmm. but can't get no burn in the NBA mm -hmm. because he never left what we was all about in Detroit. He never stepped out of, he never tried to be an individual. Yeah. He stayed within the team. Stayed in his lane. Now, if he would have been a little bit more selfish, maybe you got the different opportunity. Then people in the NBA maybe would look at him differently. Mm -hmm. But you can't name a player of his stature that has had the success, success that he's he had, had 
and not been rewarded for that not that hasn't had an opportunity to coach in the NBA. Yeah. And so I look at it and I just say, you know, what we stood for and what we still stand for today in terms of team over individuals, that has stood the test of time and is still, you know, how can I say it, is, um, in my opinion, what the game should be about. Talk about how, like, you know, we from Chicago, so everybody know you seeing you play everything about you is toughness you know what I'm saying from stitches in the eye whatever just the way you played on yeah. the sprained ankle balling out in the finals legendary like talk about like where we come from and where you come from in particular because I claim where you come from a little tougher than my neighborhood <laughs> so talk about how that just got you prepared for you know not only the NBA or college but life in general for you know coming from the city and coming from where we come from I, I grew up on on the west side of Chicago and and the west side of Chicago is that it's that side of town that that the tourists don't talk about. You know what I mean? It's like when people talk about Chicago, it's the south side. Mm-hmm. And, you know, everything happens on the south side. And the, and the west side is like that place where the expressway runs through. Yeah. You know, and, you know, we grew up, you know, again, we, we was dirt poor. And I grew up every single day. My first thought waking up in the morning was, where can I get some food at? Like, really, that was, that was my first thought every day. Like, where can I get something to eat? And, you know, I can get it on the way to school. I can steal somebody lunch at school, <laughs> yeah. you know. Um, and, and then you had to fight on your way to school and on your way back from school. Mm-hmm. And, you know, the way, the way all of us grew up, particularly in Chicago, you literally had to walk out your door. And you had to look across the street and make that decision if that guy who was standing across the street, if he's going to let you walk by or if it was going to be a fight. Mm-hmm. And if you didn't guess right on that day, you could die. You could literally yeah. die. Yeah. So your, your decision-making skills got sharpened. They got honed. And, and if you looked at that guy and you was like, okay, well, I'm across the street. And then he crossed the street too. Then you just got to go back the other way. Yeah. You got to find another way to school. You definitely noticed the warning signs by growing up how we grew up. Yeah. So and and then you had to learn to fight. Yeah. So and <laughs> and I and I got good at fighting. Yeah. Um, and I actually you better you ain't gonna be here yeah. right now otherwise. <laughs> yeah. And I actually started enjoying fighting. I remember I, I took karate right, and I got all the way up to my black belt. And you know you have to fight each time to get your belt. Yeah. And I'll never forget, I was standing there and I was getting ready to fight this dude named Jerry and he was a black belt and I, was, I had got my purple and I was fight. you gotta fight to get your black. And, and he broke out, you know, you bow sensei and he broke out into his stuff and he looked at me, I was like, this guy like, cause you know, you're supposed to hold your punches back and everything. Yeah. And I was like, nah, this this dude gonna hurt me, man. <laughs> so I, remember, I remember I took my belt off and I, I was like, you know, I'm I don't want the black belt that bad, you yeah. know. Cause Jerry would have hurt me. He looked like you know how you look at somebody and they just you just know like I'm about to fuck you up. Yeah, and I was like, <laughs> I, I I I knew I couldn't beat him. Yeah. Right? So I was like, nah, I'm I'm done. But you know, fighting and trying to get food and then when you put that into playing 
whenever I played, I just played with a certain amount of hunger and intensity and, like, I want to win. And that, that was just in me. That, w- that was just the way I played and the way I competed. And, I, you know, I sit here today and I'm, I look at some of them guys and they still mad at me 30 years later. And I'm like, damn, man, we was just, you know, we, yeah. <laughs> it was just a game. Why are you still well, mad? Go. You know? <laughs> I don't, I don't, it's like I don't understand. Like, yeah. what, why are you so angry? Because all, all we was doing was playing. I mean, you was playing. I was playing. You was competing. I was competing. Why? Why are you still mad? And like, this was this was what it was. Yeah. Like, so, <laughs> speak about how how special was it for? Because I know how tight. I mean, you know me. I got to see you up close and personal playing for you and, and big homie. How special was that for you and Mark to have him be yeah. able to come join that? Like you say, y- y'all go way back. Grew up two blocks from each other, and I know how tight the bond is. So for him to be able to come there, then win a chip too, and be a part of that, and y'all be together and doing that. How dope was that? We never would have won a championship if Mark Aguirre don't come to our team. Mark Aguirre basically flushed down the toilet a Hall of Fame career mm-hmm. to be a champion. Now, I'm going to say that again. Yeah. Say it louder for the people in the back. Because when Mark Aguirre was with the Dallas Mavericks, oh, averaging 26, 27 <laughs> points a night. All-star game every year. All-star game every year. Yes. Going to the Western Conference Finals every yeah. year, taking the Lakers to six, seven games, losing. Yeah. Right? That was Mark Aguirre and the Dallas Mavericks. Yeah. Mark Aguirre wanted to win a championship. He joins us in Detroit. When he comes over to Detroit, he looks at Dennis Rodman, and he goes, this dude can do some things that I can't do, and he'll help us win more. Mm. The trade was made because – Adrian Danley. Adrian Danley didn't want to accept less lesser minutes. Lesser, yeah. And Rodman was, you know, Dennis Rodman. And so he was much, coming. So much he energy. was coming. <laughs> and so when Mark came, he looked at Rodman and he was like, I don't need to play 40 minutes a night. I'm good playing 20, 22 minutes a night. And I'll share, keyword share, I'll share the other time with Rodman. Mm-hmm. That's when we took off. Mm-hmm. That's when we started dominating the league. And because Rodman, defensively, rebounding-wise, he was doing stuff that nobody had seen before. Yeah. If Mark was a selfish player, Mark is saying, no, I got to get my 26, I got to get my 27 points, I got to get my minutes, so forth and so on. Now, the big picture, right, Mark Aguirre has not been rewarded for being an NBA champion back-to-back NBA champion. Mark Aguirre would have been rewarded on a Hall of Fame stage had he stayed in Dallas and averaged 27 points and lost in the Western Conference Finals every year. Yeah. Right? This is the cruel sacrifices of winning that sometimes comes along with winning. You, You have to make some sacrifices. And if Mark don't show up, Rodman never becomes Rodman. Rodman. We never become the the back-to-back champions that we became. And it's not because Mark Aguirre came in and averaged 27 points. It's because Mark Aguirre came and helped one of his teammates be better. Made that puzzle be whole. Yeah. I feel like, uh, you know, of course, we crazy Bulls friends just being mm-hmm. in Illinois. So but, was I. But <laughs> Had to give it to him. But just loving basketball and knowing the game, I feel like y'all team – 
is one of the most underrated team, if not the most underrated champions in the league to me because I feel like, uh, you know, when them Celtics and them Lakers and the Chicago came along, people just tend to forget about these two championships at the roughest time possible that you, you came and pulled through. You fought adversity. Like, speak about uh, the surroundings, like how a lot of people didn't want Detroit to win a championship. Definitely not no back-to-back championships and definitely not against the Lakers or, or beat the Celtics at this time. So how rebellious y'all was and how much it meant at a time where all you seeing is Celtic championships or you might get a 76ers here or then you got a Lakers championships, but then Detroit come in and plant their flag you know, in them 80s yeah. years to – what what we represented, the league did not want to see, and what I mean by that is we were the we were the team that was rising, but we was also the team that was talking about race, class, and gender. Not only did we have a sports and basketball agenda, but we also had a political agenda yeah. along with our winning. So when you started having those conversations in talking about, you know, stereotypes, race, class. And then at that time, I was the vice president of the union, then became president of the union. So the Pistons, when you look back through history, we were the first team to, A, change the color of our uniform because there was only one color of jerseys. Mm -hmm. We started wearing the silver and black. We made the connection with the Raiders. So we started showing up in silver and black, you know, yeah. warm-up. Warm you know, they were, they were warm-up shirts, yeah. but there was no such thing as a warm-up shirt, shirt back thing. then. Yeah. Then we, we played with, you know, our label, so to speak. So instead of it being the Pistons, we, we took the scroll and crossbones and put it on the basketball. Mm-hmm. So we started doing different things with the logo, and then we upgraded the hotels, we're not staying in three-star hotels no more. We're going to stay in five-star hotels, which forced the league now to say to the other teams, those other owners, okay, well, we got to upgrade the living conditions. Yeah. Now, I know what I'm doing in terms of being in the union and how this is going to affect benefits, hotels, travel. We were the first team to have our own team playing. Mm-hmm. We called it Round Ball One. So instead of us going to the airports, we started chartering. Then we started staying in better hotels. Now, the NBA followed all of that. They like to say that, and this is no knock on the, on the Celtics or the Lakers. I'm just, I'm just spitting facts. Yeah. And you can always go back and research. It's Googleable. Yeah, to see what I'm <laughs> it's saying Googleable. is true. So when you look at the, the 80s, the highest rated games of the 80s, Pistons versus Lakers, Pistons versus Celtics, Pistons versus Bulls. Now, all those things have one thing in common, and that's the Detroit Pistons. Detroit Pistons. Now, those teams played against each other, too. Yeah. <laughs> okay. Yeah. You know, but those weren't the highest rated games. And when you talk about where the league moved from in 85 to 90, in terms of the growth of the league, you can look at the merchandise that the Pistons were selling. You can look at the crowds that we were drawing and the TV ratings. I give the Celtics and the Lakers a lot of respect for what they did 
in the 80s. Mm-hmm. But there was another team that really helped that curve, too. Yeah. And it just wasn't the Lakers and the Celtics. Yeah. The biggest crowds that watched the basketball game, those were happening at the Silver Dome in Detroit, where we was putting 60,000 in, 40,000 in, 50,000 in. And by the way, those 60, 40, 50, they won against the Lakers or the Celtics yeah. or the Bulls. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. And you know? Another, I can say I was a part of one part where, you know, it's Googleable where he, where I feel like you impacted a change in the league. When we was with the Knicks, when you started making us wear suits head mm-hmm. to toe, we like people talk about the dress code and, you know, I feel like all of us that played that we feel like it was a direct answer to what we were doing because obviously the league office is and everybody there are at all of the Knicks game every every time. So anytime we assemble for anything, you getting on the bus, you getting on the plane, anything as a team, full suit tie. And we was hot. Like, man, was he come, man? This man like we had man, people had to go get in their pockets, go get some suits and all this. You in New York City, you can't be looking crazy. I'm talking about you got that suit on now, boy. Then, <laughs> then like the thing that was crazy, cause it was like literally, we did that year one. Mm-hmm. The next year they implemented a lead wag and we was like yeah. We was like, well, the rules that they even put the league on weren't even as firm as ours. So we was like, this don't matter. I can I can literally remember when I when I left and went to the, went to the heat. I was like, man, this is the first time in like four years that I ain't got to wear a full suit, like for real. <laughs> I had so you remember I had so many. So I was like, this is crazy, man. But like that was a hundred percent. I remember direct effect. That. Like we did it, and then they did it because they was like, you know, it didn't matter. They was like, look how y'all, because that was that was a Zeke thing. So we used to be, you know, hell, he like, y'all man, look he like, good, look, though, y'all man. look good, yeah. y'all, y'all ready for whatever. Yeah. He like, y'all don't want to hear this yeah. from me. He like, but y'all look good. He okay. like, y'all don't. The whole league look. Good. I remember laughing at him the year before. Like, boy, y'all bought all them suits and all that stuff. And I'm giving them a hard time, and then the next year they change the rule. Yeah. So I gotta go and go to the same person <laughs> and make my order for my tin suits and my walkers and all that stuff. One of the questions I wanted to ask you, like you and Joe Dumars, is one of the best one and two in the history of the game. You see one and twos out here now. You see Steph and Clay. Love Steph. You and see Clay. Dame Litter and C.J. McCullough. Yeah. You know what I'm saying? You see these guys to see. That combination, because that was one of the things I loved about the old Pistons team, you and Joe Dumars. Yeah, you had all them guys that was rough and tough and rebounding and doing all this stuff. But you and Joe was like something the other. Speak about um, the relationship with you and Joe and how y'all got the chemistry to kind of feed off each other. Because I used to look at the game and the looks y'all used to give each other. Like, oh, it's it's your time? Oh, it's my time. You know what I'm saying? And to see it now in the game today where you got, you know, Steph and Clay having so much success as, you know, leading the team being the one and two. And Damon, CJ having the success they have of going to the playoffs every year. And it's, they might need that one player yeah. like like uh, McGuire came in to put them over the hook. Mm-hmm. Look at what Dame doing now. He's going on a tear right now. Again, to me, I, I measure everything about can you win and perform and play in the championship. Right. Mm-hmm. And not just play in the championship, but can you win? Do you have the mentality to walk up in the arena in somebody else's building? Do you have the nerve to snatch that person's heart and punch win the in game? The face, straight yeah. up. And, you know, we, we use punch in the face analogies, but we don't really mean punch in the face. Yeah. 
but we mean our mentality, mentality yeah. our, our energy is going to make you feel like we done punch you in the yeah. face. You, you know how you walk into a restaurant and, or we, or we, let's say we, we on the court and we playing, right? And it can be 10 people that walk in and we like, we good. But then there's one guy that show up on the court and we like, uh, I think we got to go. <laughs> right. Now that dude ain't said nothing, but you feel his vibe. You feel his energy. Mm-hmm. So we try to put that energy into the opponent. And Joe and I, when we walked out on the floor, we wanted to every single night prove that we were better than you, offensively and defensively. And, and by the way, if, if one of us was in trouble defensively, <clears throat> then we would come and help. Right. You know, it's like, it's like we used to always say, okay, we ain't going to let Jordan get 50 on you. But he did. Yeah. <laughs> you know? yeah. but, but at least we had the mentality yeah. that, okay, I'm coming to help. Yeah. Now, when I get over there, I may not be able to do nothing. <laughs> yeah. but, but at least when you turned around and he scored on you, you see all now. You looking at your teammates saying, yeah. okay, I ain't by myself. He ain't scored 50 on just you. He, he scored, scored 50, 50 on, on us. Yeah. Right? And, that, and that's the way it was. Now, Everybody else, you know, our mentality was like we coming in not to score on you. We coming in to shut you down because if this is what you like to do, we're not going to let you do that. You're going to have to do something else to beat us. And you're going to have to do it for a long period of time. And the odds are if I make you do something a long period of time that you're not used to doing and I get to do what I want to do, then I'm going to beat you. And then you're going to be mad at me. But I'm going to keep beating you because I'm not going to let you do what you want to do. And that, that's the approach that we had coming into the game to play. You win a championship, you be rebellious. They don't want the Detroit Pistons to win a championship. The dream team come up. And all my favorite players on this dream team. Yeah. And I'm just as pissed off as you about you not making that dream team. But you, you didn't make it in so far. We move on. And then you make the Hall of Fame. Then they announced you top 50s, greatest of all time history. That Hall of Fame and that top 50s player of, of the history, what did that mean to you? None, none of us wake up or start playing basketball and say, oh, man, I'm going to make it to the Hall of Fame. Right. Or I'm going to be one of the top 50 right, players right, ever played. Yeah. I mean, you don't even – I mean, just that's not even like a thought. You didn't yeah. even think that was – Yeah. And that's a hope. <laughs> not even a hope. You, you. It I mean, and, and yeah. It's like, and and then when they say you made that right, and for a little dude like me, I mean, y'all, y'all big, right? Yeah. And I, I know y'all. I, I walk in the room now, and y'all look at me, and I look at y'all like, damn, there's some big. Straight <laughs> <laughs> up, you know. And but <clears throat> being a little dude, and then being honored or selected. You know, it, 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 to me, it was just mind blowing because I never thought that I would be on that stage or could be what I became in the game of basketball. I really was just playing. And the majority of the time I was playing because that's where the food was. Mm-hmm. It's like, you know, you play for this guy, you know, after the game, he going to buy you a hot dog. Right. You know, that coach ain't got no money. You know, can't, can't yeah, play. We ain't know, eating after the game. I can't play. Yeah. So, and, and, but you never thought like Hall of Fame top 50, you know, and, you know, when you mentioned like the dream team, did I want to be a part of that? Absolutely. Yeah. But when I wasn't picked, 
you know, it it was like, okay, it hurt, it hurt yeah. deep. But at the same time, I still rooted for the USA yeah, to win. Of course. And I watched every game, yeah. you know, mm-hmm. and I was looking at it like, Man, I could have been playing, right? You know, you, you still, mm-hmm. you're still fantasizing and still wanting to be. But after a week went by, I wasn't bitter no more. It was like, if you haven't had that experience, which all of us have had trying to make a team, mm-hmm. remember they used to write your name, right? you know, and, and you see if you made the made team. team. And, you know, sometimes you didn't make the team yeah. or you was on that second piece of paper. Yeah. Well, I, that's how I looked at the dream team situation. It's like, okay, well, I didn't make the team, but I rooted for everybody who was on the team. Like, I couldn't look at that team and say, I was Stockton the scrub. He shouldn't be on the team. I couldn't do that because he's not. Chris don't later, worry. Could, don't worry. Team. We did that no, for no, you. No, but <laughs> I feel you. I feel no, no but dude, I'm, I'm all due respect. I mean, I'm grown now. I, I'm adult and I play in the league, so I respect it different. But yeah. I'm just saying, when it happened and when we was at the crib. Yeah, yeah we had our emotions. Like, wait a minute. Yeah, we had our emotions. And Shaq was supposed to be on there instead yeah. of Lateness. So yeah. those were the two love asterisks. But you know. But we, again, we, we had our emotions. Yeah. But yeah. at the same time, those were, you mean, Stockton is a Hall of Fame player. Yeah. And I respect and I it got different. Great like, respect I, don't, for him. I don't feel the same as I you did know? as a kid, as an adult. As a, yeah. So I, and, I, and I had the privilege of being a little older and also had won some championships. Mm-hmm. So while I may have been bitter and may have been disappointed, it didn't lead me to hate. hate. You know, yeah. like, oh, man. Like, I... I wanted Magic Nim to win. I wanted, yeah. and then I mentioned Magic. Right, for Magic to be a part of that team after being out of the league with HIV mm-hmm. and having his career cut so short, I look back at that and I say, "Hey, you know, I, I probably wouldn't have had the the fortitude to say, hey, 'Hey, I'm gonna step back and let Magic be.'" Yeah. I was happy that the basketball gods Chose said, Isaiah, let Magic have his stage mm-hmm. instead of you. Yeah. you. You know, during that period of time, you probably couldn't think that way, but now that I'm older, yeah. right, and I can look back and say, that moment, while it would have been good for me, letting Magic have that shine, letting Magic be that, what it did for him and what it did for the basketball community, community and HIV and everything else, oh, that was way bigger than Isaiah yeah, Thomas not making. Yeah, yeah, so it was like the basketball guys have a way of working things out, and at the end of the day, Magic being in that spot instead of me being in that spot was the right thing for the basketball community. I, well, I wasn't, I wasn't old enough to cuss yet, but, you know, when – they announced we. That's alright. My mama was cursing. We, yeah, <laughs> when they announced that they was giving the, they was gonna put NBA players in, it, and it's just like we just, you just won championships, and no one like, at that time had won more than Magic Bird and, and I and you and like Jordan had just won his first championship. Exactly, and it was just like you know when you when you read <clears> off the list and you know we watched these All Star games and stuff. It was like man, they got everybody right except for the one person yeah. that we all want to be especially us being from Illinois like I wanted it so much I wanted to just see you and Mike 
on yeah. the court. I wanted to see you in Magic on the court. I wanted to see you play with Bird. Yeah. <laughs> you know what I'm saying? Because you, you see these wars and they don't realize it's really a brotherhood at the end of the day. And, yeah. and to see how them guys have fun, it was just like you was the missing link to that. And I was real disappointed. Yeah. And, again, and, I, I was disappointed too. <laughs> um, but I also, I also look at it and I say, you know, what that team represented and now that we're all older, we do understand politics. Mm-hmm. And I do think that the political structure of that team, you know, you had to have some diversity, yeah. right? And it was, a, it was a very diverse team, a well-put-together team, and it really did hit all the bases that needed to be covered. But, I, again, for me, now that I'm, I'm a little older and I can look back and I can say, hey, man, that moment for Magic Johnson being on that stage with that yeah. flag around him, mm-hmm. we for what, that. for what, not only did we need that, he needed that, yeah. and and if I had to be the the, Sacrificial the then then cool. Speaking, yeah, I agree with that. Speaking speaking on your relationship with Magic, one of the one of the best moments I feel like I I had and saw on TV when y'all did the sit down with NBA TV and y'all yeah. came back together, like. And I look at it like this. For me, I'm sure like you two, we we grew up, you know, idolizing y'all, looking at y'all. And so when I'm sitting there, I'm looking at y'all cry. I damn near was crying. I'm like, yeah. fuck is going on? Keep tighten up. Like, <laughs> say it with right, your chest, right, bro. Right, I'm right. like, damn. I'm like, you know what I'm saying? But I'm like, but I, you know, I'm I'm sure every anybody that saw it could feel, you know what I'm saying, the raw emotion. Like, how was that for you, just being able to come full circle and get back locked in with magic like that? It, it was it was a beautiful moment. For me, in him, it just goes to show you the the power of compassion and forgiveness. And the lesson that I think he and I both learned that I I hope we show to the world is that there's two things. A, you always got to talk. Whenever there's a third party in the middle whispering in somebody's ear and you don't talk to your friend then then it, then it gets muddy mm-hmm. uh, I think the power of us coming together he and I didn't truly understand the power of our friendship to the y'all generation exactly. the generation under when you're going through this you, you're really only thinking about yourself mm-hmm. but you're not thinking about what your relationship and friendship means to the world yeah. That we weren't in that space. And to have that moment and then walk out of that moment and have people come up to you in the airport, you know, hey, man, I'm so glad you and Magic, you know, For real. had a chance to sit down and talk. That did me so much good. I went back and I called my friend from grade school that I hadn't talked to in years. You know, I had a conversation with him. You know, any any place we went, in any place that I go now, that conversation has opened up so many doors. And, you know, just not knowing and understanding the power of our friendship, it's like we all hug now, right? Back back in the 80s, men couldn't hug. No, you get that they, Yeah, you, you know, you, you had to give them that old, that stale handshake and, you know, but you can hug your family member. So Magic and I, we hug, we kiss, whatever. And that was like a big deal. 
Now you watch an NBA game. Before every game, guys are like, you know, all the hands, all the hands, So breaking down all those barriers, you didn't realize what you were doing and how important it was to people. So that was that was a big moment, and I'm, and I, I couldn't be more happier for him, watching him just rise back up and be on top. Mm-hmm. And D Miles, you can appreciate this, and you know, to get knocked down at the zenith of your career with a physical injury or what what happened to him, yeah. where you on top. I mean, it, it happened to you with your knees where yeah. you just like you wake up one morning and your body ain't it. the same yeah. and you're not on top of the mountain anymore. Yeah. So what the NBA community and the basketball community allowed Magic to do is get back up and now he's back on his pedestal. Yeah. You know, it was important for me to come here today. Q asked me, like, you know, can you come? When? What time? How long? Yeah. You know, change my flight, whatever. But to be able to sit here with both of you and to see what the basketball community is still doing for you and for Q. Like I said to Q, and I, I said, hey, don't lose the job now. <laughs> <laughs> hey, we be in the studio. in the studio. Look at us. Look, look what we doing. <laughs> like, hey, you, don't, you don't mess this up. Man. <laughs> Keep it light. Ain't no. So, but I mean, that's, that's what we supposed to do. And that, so when you talk about a brotherhood, the brotherhood is really supposed to be the brotherhood. Like yeah. we supposed to look out, we supposed to help. Yeah. And you can look at any team that I've been on or represented or been a part of, there is always some Chicago people. I'm um, <laughs> Chicago, Detroit is always represented because that's where I come from mm-hmm. and that's what I represent. Mm-hmm. And if I don't have Chicago or Detroit around me, then something ain't right. Yeah, I'm in the wrong what's spot. Going on. You know? <laughs> hey, this is one of the things that, that I always, like looking back, that I thought about. I've even talked to, you know, some of my guys. We talked about it and I feel like you don't get enough credit for like when you were as a president and, you know, VP, of, you know what I'm saying, a draft, pick the draft and you did. Because mm-hmm. I feel like even in some of your, you know, free agent signings and stuff like that, in my opinion, you wouldn't got the people that were sometimes the throwaways or sometimes the people that weren't being believed in or being doubted. Like even in, in drafting, I can remember you drafting Nate, you know what mm-hmm. I'm saying, Ronaldo, Balkman, Wilson, all guys that at the time, it was, what the fuck is that? Like, you know what I'm saying? Oh, I can remember specifically with Wilson when he declared. Yeah. The AD called me like, oh, my God, like I don't know what's, what is he doing. Like they're not even saying then it was like – he didn't work out, and then it was like <laughs> he 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 came to us, and still right now having a long good career yeah. in the NBA. I swear, I was just talking about it the other day. We playing in the season. We playing, watching the NCAA tournament. La la la. You watch Kentucky lose. Now Randolph Morris is in college playing. <laughs> they lose, and the next week we sign him to the New York Knicks. <laughs> Some loophole or whatever that, that Zeke found And I was just like like I feel like he don't get enough credit For a lot of the stuff You know what I'm saying A lot of the moves and stuff You know what I'm saying Drafting Stoudemire Canby and them boys over there We know yeah. Even the guys that he You know what I'm saying That you gave That you signed to deals From, from Indiana to the Knicks all of the moves, I feel like, what made you be able to see and ignore that and say, I don't care what they saying or what's being said about them. You see what you saw, and you did what you did. 
I always approach the draft asking this question. Can this person play in a championship game and win, right? And what is his, his mental makeup? And in every trade that I made, it's like, okay, not can he play in the NBA, not how many points. Can this guy perform under pressure? If we in a pressure situation, can he follow the game plan? Can he execute? And can we win a championship with him? And if you look at all the players that I've drafted and some of the players that I've traded for, they're either in the Hall of Fame right now, they've been named NBA All-Stars, and have won championships or been six men of the year. So on that team that, that we had in New York, we had six people off that team win NBA championships. Mm-hmm. Malik was on that team, won an NBA championship. David Lee won an NBA championship. Eddie got one. Channing Frye won an NBA championship. Eddie Curry was on the NBA championship team. Jamal was, you know, sixth man of the year forever. The trophy would probably be named after him. Sixth guard. <laughs> Wilson, as you said, is still playing. Everyone that, that we had. Nate had, tied MJ's record in the playoffs for points in the yeah. quarter as the fourth string guy. And, <laughs> and we had all this talent and everybody was, was so young and maturing and growing. Now, you know, the narrative in New York, and, and I don't know how this got started, where they say, well, you traded all the draft picks. No, I never traded any draft picks. As a matter of fact, one year I, I had three first-round picks. Mm-hmm. If you go back and you look at what I actually did, oh, we forgot to name Trevor Reza uh, yeah, in terms true. of. Uh, and I'm sure there's somebody else that I champion. missed, and I, and, you know, as a champion. So if there's somebody else that was on that team and I missed, I apologize. Mm. But there's only the trade that, that I still think today is so misunderstood. People, you know, have, have wrote so fictitious, fictitiously just bad about was the Eddie Curry trade. I mean, the Eddie Curry trade to me was Eddie Curry and Wilson Chandler for Tyrus Thomas. Mm-hmm. And Tyrus Thomas at that time was, I think he was the second pick in the draft, and I looked at Tyrus, and, and no offense to Tyrus, but I just said, look, I, I got David Lee and I got Channing Frye. So I'm good. I'm, I'm good at the power forward spot. Mm-hmm. I don't need another power forward. And the three power forwards at that time that were coming out was Aldridge, Tyrus Thomas, and Joaquin Noah. When I looked at Channing and David, I said, okay, these two guys are capable, in my opinion, and this was my criteria. My criteria is can you win a championship? Right. Not can you play in the NBA and score some points and make some money. Can you win a championship? I looked at David Lee and I looked at Channing Fry and I said, these two guys can play on championship teams and win. So I'm good with them, right? And I think when you look back, and history has proven us correct, that Wilson Chandler, Eddie Curry, for Tyrus Thomas was a damn good trade. I'm not mad at that at all. You remember this, our first preseason game. It was either our first or our second preseason game. You was coaching the Indiana Pacers. Ooh, we had a whip in Indiana. And we, and if Bird wouldn't have fired me, I, I still say today, we'd, I would have won a championship with that team. Great team. I, that's one of my favorite teams, too. But I know what he's about to talk about. We played at Indiana State, and my I first exactly dunk on somebody 
was against Jermaine O'Neal in Indiana State, and I dunked on him, like, body to body, tangled up with him, and I yelled. Oh, all 185 pounds. It wasn't a yell. It wasn't a man yell. It was a little scream because my voice was still squeaky. Oh, right, right. Right. <laughs> but I remember after I dunked on him, it was like an and one. And this is my first time, like, even being around. I'm like, man, Isaiah over there, coach. And I can, he shook my hand after I dunked on him. Gave him a five, right? And all I can hear you saying, don't shake his motherfucking hand while you shaking his hand. <laughs> <laughs> and that's all it's, I can hear you say. He just dunked on you. <laughs> and I was like, man, did you hear that? <laughs> we talk about it after the game. But I, that was my first dunk in the NBA in preseason. I remember playing against y'all. I, I ducked. You said I that a, I was so hyped. I about tell that. a similar story there, right? So Zeke is my coach, right? I just I literally just told this story to uh, to Ro and them in the studio right. the other day. Kev and all of them, we studied there. So this we playing in New York. We playing against the New Jersey Nets, right? This one they got J Kid, R J, Collins, and that whole group, right? This one they good, they tough. So need to say we playing a tough game, it's getting heated. So you know Collins used to be dirty as hell. Big Collins yeah. with the braids. He he sat and he hip checking you on the screens, all that doing all the little sneaky stuff. So they come off RJ. I'm chasing RJ. He hip check me. RJ curl get a little layup or something. Zeke call a timeout. He going off on me screen. I'm like man. I'm like I'm like. At first I was yelling at the ref. He he, Zeke called the time. He called the timeout. I'm yelling at the ref like, man, that's fucking. Zeke turned around like, man, stop acting like a. P-. I was like, I turned around <laughs> him. I looked at him. I said, nah. So now I'm hot. I'm, 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 I'm hot. I'm standing there, man. He try, He doing the whole huddle and stuff. I ain't even in the huddle. I'm standing up like this. I'm hot, bro. I'm hot. Next play come out, right? <laughs> Same play come. RJ coming to do this. Curl out, Collins about to set that screen. Run him over. Boom! <laughs> Laid his ass down and fell all over him, elbow into him, got up, then I turned him, called me a p again. <laughs> Do it again. And Z was like, he was like, he was like, that's supposed to get the last fucking time. Like, he's like, he's like, he like, he like, he like, I don't want to hear that. Don't you but I'm like, man, I'm like, I said, Z, I said, he really crazy. You wouldn't have scored the basket. Yeah. You gave up two points. <laughs> Yeah. Every point count. Hey, Every, bro, point count. Every point count. I will never forget that I was like this. I was like I said he had me thirty eight hot. I was I say somebody is about to get all of this. I'm talking about man. I tried to dive there, but man, I tried to dive my elbow. I was so man. I was like man, because you know everybody looking at you like see you know what I'm saying. I'm sitting there like. Let me ask you this: um, Who did you grow up? Trying to pattern your game after, like, who's the guys that you you looked at and was like, I want to be like them. all my older brothers. I mean, all my older brothers. You know, my older brother Lord Henry was one of the best basketball players I ever seen. Yeah. You know, as a kid growing up, I mean, he was smooth. You know, he he ended up getting strung out on heroin, but he was um, man, was he good? I mean, and and I just wanted to play like him. I mean, he was be somewhat better than him. Yeah, I mean, yeah. it was it was, and he would put on a show every time that that he played. And I never forget my other brother Larry. He used to always say, "Junior, you you just can't play. Like, <laughs> anybody can play. Yeah, like you you got to make them feel it. You yeah. know, you 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 got to make them feel it oh, when you play. That's where the boogie yeah. came from. Yeah, that's, yeah. Where, that's where the boogie influence that's where the came from. Yeah, if you if you don't make them feel it, man, then, then 
well, then why are we coming to watch you play? I can go to the playground and watch people play. You, yeah. you got to put on a show, show. Yeah. and you got to make them fans like. So that's that's the way I always you installed in. Yeah, like hey, you just can't be regular. Yeah, right. Even you, when people thought you was fancy, that wasn't fan. That was just the swag of your ooh, game. If I got to play in this NBA, yeah, where yeah. you can be fancy, yeah. where you can sit down in front of somebody and really bye, bye, pat bye, it bye, like bye. it like 10, 15 times between <laughs> yeah. your this legs. This is what I'm telling you. Yeah. Oh, when we play, we even, like, and I ain't even as we not even as old as you, but we talk about like when we was coming up in this league. Man, our coach might have benched us if we did some of the stuff. Yeah. Took some of the shots, tried some that of the moves. That many dribbles, you yeah. going to do that many times? Oh, oh, wait a minute. Wait, and then somebody to hit you. It's like, a seven-foot under there every time. <laughs> i never forget my second game in the NBA. After we beat Milwaukee, I come to, to Chicago. And Ricky Sobers and Reggie Theus are the guards. Mm-hmm. And I came down. And, you know, I went through my legs. And Ricky Sobers grabbed me real hard. He said, no, 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 no. You ain't. Don't be going through your legs and stuff on me. Look, and look. and I, so we we at the line right and you know now he's trying to punk me because I ain't say nothing you know he grabbed me hard right don't be going and so now I think John Long was on the foul line he came and stood next to me he wore number fourteen he stood next to me and he said you know I know you you young and everything just getting in the league and you know he talking smack and I, I looked at him I said hey. I just want you to know, you live here in Chicago. You see all them people sitting in them stands over there? They're my boys. All Say something else to me. We was good. real uncomfortable around, <laughs> moving around this we, city. We, we was good then. Yeah. He was like, oh, I said, I didn't mean that. I said, okay, we good. <laughs> One of the questions I wanted to ask you, like, me being 6'9", I always wanted to know how to dribble mm-hmm. and, and dribble the ball. And I used to watch you do this figure eight. Dribble between your legs, and I used to do this every single day. The spider dribble, all that stuff. You one of the best dribblers in NBA history. Who taught you how to dribble the ball the way you do, and how you kept on perfecting it and getting even better? Sidebar: He still can do it right now. When we be at work, every once and again, like we'll be out there on the court and hear, and then somebody will be like, "What the?" I'll be like, "Yeah, straight up, (laughs) right now, still can do it." I I was again, I was so fortunate to. So when you asked me who taught me how to dribble like that, I learned that from Curly Neal and Marcus Haynes. Mm. Now, how did I meet Curly Neal and Marcus Haynes? Uh, when I was playing at the Martin Luther King Boys Club, one of the, the coaches there who would come around and advise our, our bitty basketball coach was John McClendon. John McClendon is a former student of Naismith, and he was also with Abe Saperstein and Mrs. Saperstein of the Globetrotters who would come give clinics on the west side of Chicago. And I remember curling. So when you see me like, patting it real low, uh, and then I'll fall on the ground and get up and mm-hmm. then go back. All that comes from Curly and Marcus in terms of how they taught you how to dribble. And the way they taught you how to dribble was like, you got to learn how to play the piano. You know? Fingers. So, yeah. you Twitter got fingers. <laughs> you start with your index finger, then you yeah. go to your middle finger, your ring finger, baby finger, thumb, and and before you know it, now you, you then they call it patting. Now yeah. you learn how to pat. And if you can keep that ball low, can't nobody really get it because the angle that that defender has to take 
if he's not willing to bend his knees, knees and get, get down low, there with you. Get that ass down. Yeah, you got you to sit down. You got to sit down in the chair, right? And if he's not sitting down in the chair and you see that head lean forward, okay, well that, when that head lean forward, now he's off balance. He can't slide when his head's forward. And so you learn all those cues, and those are the things that I learned in terms of dribbling. So that's how I learned how to dribble. But, by the way, I wasn't the only one who learned that. You know, everybody in the neighborhood, right. you know, yeah. because they was coming teaching everyone. It's not like I had, like, you know, a private lesson, yeah. right. you know. So now the whole neighborhood on the west side, you know, you learning how to dribble. Handles. Now, when you're learning how to dribble, now you got to learn how to defend that. Yeah. So we always said the guys on the south side, them guys can score, man. They, yeah. they can shoot it. <laughs> they got pretty shots. Yeah. You know, I mean, if you think about all the scores who have come out of Chicago. From the Hunnids. Mainly all of them from the south side. <laughs> yeah. I mean, they shoot good. They look good. You know, yeah. their hair's fresh. They cut, you know. West side, we Tony Allen, Patrick Beverly. Oh, yeah. A little you rough know, around we, the head. Yeah, we, just, we just straight dogs because what it's they like. Call, what they call it, the bottoms? Yeah. yeah. They call it the yeah. bottoms. Low yeah, end. We, the low end. Yeah, we we got to learn how to stop y'all from doing all that stuff, you know. Yeah. Dennis Rodman. Is one of my favorite players yeah. of all time. He was a bad boy. He played and he got the one Bulls. of the dopest thirty for thirties out. Yeah. Man, he was just so unique. I don't want to say character to seem like I'm dissing him, but like a character, his personality, just like the way he played, how how much he hustled. To see Dennis Rodman come in with the Pistons, and to see him have a Hall of Fame career, to see yeah. the success he had when you know the whole world was adversity. Yeah. A lot of the stuff that these kids doing. Of just being free and just wanting to be themselves is kind of based off Dennis Rodman. Yeah, you know what I'm saying. He opened that lane up. Can you speak on like Dennis Rodman and his career and like how proud are you of him to who he become in this game? When I when I say I, I love Rodman, I mean I I love him <laughs> because the free spirit and the beautiful person. I mean, just would give literally give you the shirt off his back and. Watching him grow within the NBA, and if and if you look at Rodman with the Pistons, and you look at Rodman mm, with the, the Bulls, Bulls, you know he got turned out. <laughs> you know what I mean? <laughs> you, you know it's like, it, and I look at that Chicago situation. While I admired them winning, I really it really hurt me that they didn't see that Rodman was really crying out for help. Yeah, and they saw the rebounds the defense and everything else. But what they didn't see is the person yeah. that was really suffering and going through it and masking it, you know, by being out on the floor. Yeah. Uh, but, you know, when you look at our team, like we, we, we embraced all. I mean, we had a big tent. Yeah. That's why, you know, we was drawing like, you know, 60,000, 70,000 people because yeah. we, you know, it's like everybody could come. No matter what music you you listen to, taste, color, whatever, it's like, hey, this this is us. This is who we are, mm-hmm. you know. And when you talk about exemplifying what love truly was about, Rodman at that age, he he was that, mm-hmm. you know. I, I look at his growth, like you mentioned, at the thirty for thirty, and how difficult his upbringing was, but yet how. Diverse it was. I mean, yeah. and we we all have to learn to. I didn't learn this word until I got into the NBA about code switching, right? Mm-hmm. And and it's like, what you talking about code switching? 
They said, well, you at home, you can talk this way, but when you sit down and do an interview, you got to talk this way. Mm-hmm. So remember the first time you did your NBA interview, mm-hmm. you was like, what do you mean? Like, I can't say what I want to say. Oh, yeah. <laughs> like, nah, you can't do that. But Rodman was always, he was always real. He was always natural. And I admired that about him. Your, not your top five of all time, but your favorite five. Like, who's your favorite five NBA players of all time that you just like? Not just the top five, just the ones you admire. So, Kareem, Magic, Jordan, Bird, and then I I probably throw, you know, Dr. J. Mm, You know, them, them, they would be. Yeah. What's the most ridiculous thing that you bought when you got a little money in your pocket? You was dirt poor, like, man. What you went and get? You was like, I know I just didn't pay for this. My mama here, I paid for that. She going to kick my ass. <laughs> I went to Freedman's, and I bought me 10 pair of gators. <laughs> I know that Freedman's. Gators on her feet. You know, on the west side, we got these gators over here. <laughs> I, had, I had a pink pair. I had a white pair. I had a green pair. I had a blue pair. And then I had some pink and white shoes. I had some green and white shoes. So all the things that you dreamed of, like I, I never had any clothes. See, I always had to wear my sister's clothes. Because my brothers, their clothes were too big for me. So I had to wear my sister's clothes. That's why I know you was wearing your sister's clothes, too. <laughs> so, you know, you learn to button up your blouse on the, on the left-hand side. And it's like, because this clothes that fit. And it's like, hey, you know, I was wearing her, her black patent leather boots because I had no clothes. Yeah. So all my sister's clothes fit. Yeah. When I got into the NBA, only, only clothes that I had. You going to buy some drip. Yeah, I had the night I had so I made the Olympic team in nineteen eighty and they gave you those those Levi jeans and that vest and that and that was that's all I had. I was wearing that every day. Yeah. Like them jeans and, and so when I got into the NBA, man, I went and bought me clothes yeah. and shoes and 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 hence why he is the flyest yeah. as, as he is today. Yeah. And the other thing, right, when I first got my apartment, I didn't know how to pay bills. And I ain't never want my gas or my lights or the phone bill to get cut off. So every time I got a bill, I was sending the light company an extra $200 because I was like, I don't never want my lights cut off. I need this on the time. Phone. <laughs> yeah. it's like, so I remember my girl coming home and she was like, why you got why you got credit on your bills? I was like, hey, I don't never want the lights to go out. I don't never want the gas to go off. <laughs> you got an extra dollar to it. That's right. Point guards out of Chicago, Illinois. You got the Cheeks. You got Isaiah Thomas, Tim Hardaway. But then you got this kid that came in, and his name was Derrick Rose. He's a Chicago kid. He get drafted to Chicago how you want to get drafted. And he had a starting his career off, youngest MVP, and he get hurt. To see D. Rose where he at now, like I'm so proud of him. I'm so happy to him. But I man. That Chicago mentality point guard, I always loved. Can you speak on like D Rose and like what he mean from coming from Chicago and so, the career he having to come behind y'all legacies? D Rose is is our one. I mean, yeah. he, he the whole city. Yeah, he, he, and you don't 
it, it's hard to put into words what he really means because he he really lived what all of us wanted to all our dreams yeah. what all of us wanted every, to every one of us grew up wanting to say and now <laughs> from <laughs> Chicago, Chicago. <Straight> up. <laughs> dead yeah. serious with the uniform running out D Rose got to live all our dreams and right? put on and boy, did he put on! And not only did he get to live it, like like you said, that then he he became the MVP of the league. <laughs> mm-hmm. So everything that we wanted, like you, the biggest then, dream you could have dreamed, he yeah, did. he he doing it. And but not only is he doing it, he including us. Like he ain't he ain't fake. You know what no, I mean? He ain't like he ain't like this. He ain't, he ain't yeah. walking by me like, yo, what's up? Yeah. He walking by me like, hey, Isaiah. Yeah. You know, and it's like, you know, it's still, it's still Chicago love. It's yeah. not like he, it ain't like he left home. You know yeah. what I mean? It's like me and D-Rose, I felt like we can go to Vienna's. You know, we can, <laughs> we, we can still get a hot dog. <laughs> yeah, you know what man. I mean? That, that's the, that, and, and so for him to, to be doing that in Chicago and then be named the MVP, dunking on, on everybody, Ooh. having that attitude where he just like, I ain't got to say it, but you know what I'm, I'm bringing. That was I'm what proud. I loved about well, him because bringing. even though he wasn't like the trash talker, everything in him still said Chicago yeah, without him saying a word. Yeah, my yeah. grit, my grind, yes. the way I'm coming in here Absolutely. and the way I'm banging. I'm yeah. like, it was just like, yeah. I was like, I talked yeah. so much to yeah. like that young boy yeah. from the crib. Yeah. Boy. <laughs> I mean, that, and, and then when he got hurt, I think it hurt all of us that we couldn't reach out to him and say, hey, don't play. Just stop. Just yeah, let it. just stop. Two years, three years, sit out. Yeah. But that Chicago grind is like, no, nah, I'm going to play stop. through injury. I ain't going to stop. I ain't going to stop. Now. Perseverance. Now, before he went to Detroit, I remember called him up. And I said to him, same thing that Will Robinson said to me. I said, you ain't going to never get loved more than when you're in Detroit. Detroit. And the way the Detroit people respond to him and the way they love him, what he's experiencing now from a community yeah. in Detroit, he ain't going to never feel that kind of love again. Mm-hmm. Chicago, Detroit, hey, man, ain't, ain't nothing like ain't it. Ain't nothing bigger ain't than Ain't nothing this. like it. Yeah, I'm, I'm very proud of D. Rose and uh, – just that next generation of when I, when he came in and to see him now and persevere through his injuries because you know it's hard you know you get these injuries it's hard and your your mind can't tell your body what to do no more it's like you get down on yourself you all in your head but to see him persevere through them ups and downs and get back to the level that he is now like that exactly what you said though like that that, that whole perseverance that just that identifies with us yeah. yeah like no matter what you gotta go through like like i was so happy when that boy hit that 50 in minnesota it was to me it was more than a game it was like it was that was like a fucking championship yeah. or something because yeah. it was an accomplishment to yeah. say boom just like right now like right now on our on on the show that i do at the tournament with bounce i just gave him the play yeah, of the month for the last six hours <laughs> like man this kid is Chicago tough tough as they come and just look at him he's still yeah. doing it in spite of everything cause like I used to get pissed people on the internet talking crazy doing all these idiot memes talking crap talking about his shoes or whatever gonna be some, yeah, some nah. like all that stuff like look you know what I'm saying like all that and look yeah, nah, I'm still here yeah. and, I'm, and I'm doing it this is how good D-Rose got it in Detroit 
2.30, he can pull up at the gas station, self-serve, go in, pay, pump the gas, come out, and don't nobody mess with him. <laughs> I'm going to say it again. That's Two, key. 2.30 a.m. In Detroit. <laughs> in Detroit. He can pull up at the gas station, pump it, go in and pay. And everybody oh, like that's man. that's D Rose. D Rose. <laughs> you and Magic Johnson was like two of the first NBA players that I heard of that was really out here spreading your wings. It wasn't just about basketball. Y'all was uh, buying real estate. Y'all was doing this, and to see kids now venturing out because remember it was it was like a stereotype that if yeah. you're not doing nothing but basketball, you're not doing the right thing. Yeah. So uh, can you just speak on just the business venture? So I I came up with the thought that basketball wasn't wasn't going to be the thing that defined me. Now, I didn't come up with that. That was my family. That was my brothers, my sisters. That was the neighborhood. Like, Junior, you got to be more than just a basketball yeah. player. Like, if that's all you do, I mean, everybody play. I mean, right. what, what else you going to do? What else you going to give back to this community? And I'm not talking about a basketball story. What you going to do for the community? Yeah. How you going to make this money work for you? How you going to make this money work for us? Now, and, and then in real estate, um, affordable housing, because, again, you, you want to go back to your community and you want to make a change. And how do you make a change? Food, clothes, and shelter. Yeah. And, and that's, that's where I kind of operate. That's where I come in. The other thing, how I got started was really, if you look in the sports and entertainment bucket, uh, coming out of the NBA, my f- my first acquisition was the Toronto Raptors. Uh, I became the co-founder of the Toronto Raptors. There was two teams that started internationally, the Raptors and the Vancouver, Vancouver Grizz- Grizzlies. There's only one international team outside of the United States right now. That's the Toronto mm-hmm. Raptors. That was the one that we founded and started. Vancouver failed, and now it's in Memphis. Memphis. So when you look at the success that we've had business-wise and what the Raptors was all about, and you look at their colors, you look at the way they the way they march, the way they walk, the way they talk. I mean, you really are seeing Chicago, West Side, Detroit in the Toronto Raptors. <laughs> <laughs> and that that was kind of my first business acquisition, uh, in terms of going into international business, in terms of the international space. So that's why we call it Isaiah International, because we do business worldwide, not just necessarily here in the United States. I know you've seen like you went into the vision of like, man, I'm coming in this to try to win a championship in Toronto. To see them win a championship now, you think back on like the time where this all started. Yeah. You was here when we just opened the gym up and cut the lights on. To see them winning, to see that country winning, the celebration and the happiness. How proud of the Toronto community that you was I, of them getting that championship. I'm unbelievably proud. And, uh, and a vision and a, and a dream come true and watching it lived out. And we probably would have won it earlier had I not left. Because the team, that we, the team that, that we had in Toronto, again, you talk about positionless basketball and the way we were moving towards playing. So you had Stoudemire at the one. Mm-hmm. You had Camby at the five. Mm-hmm. You got McGrady and Christie. Mm-hmm and uh, Vince Carter. Mm-hmm. Those, are, those are your five players. You put that young five out. It's a problem. You know, your, your, your point guard is perfect in terms yeah. of Stoudemire shooting the three, breaking down, penetrating. Can be in terms of a role man, pick, pop, pass it. And then you got Christy, McGrady, and Carter. 
You got problem. Yeah. You got problem. That's a squad. Um, so to watch them grow and still maintain the values and become the champion that they became, it was just beautiful watching it. And then not only did they take over Toronto, but they took over Canada, Canada because because the Grizzly left. So you know now. The, when you talk Everybody about the Raptors, Raptors. you talk about Canada. Canada. Mm-hmm. You don't talk about one city. Yeah. What are your thoughts on Jamal Crawford still not being in the league, being picked up by anybody yet? Like, See, this how is, ridiculous is this? This is where the, this is where the, excuse me when I say this, but this is where the, the numbers guys got it wrong, and they don't understand the impact of Jamal Crawford because his game speaks for itself. But his personhood, you should want this guy on your team. In your locker room. In your locker room. <laughs> I mean, on your coaching staff. Some, somewhere. Jamal, yeah. Craw- Jamal Crawford not being in basketball Ain't right. lets me it. know that there are a lot of NBA offices that don't understand what the essence of the game is I about. Agree. Not what the papers and the numbers say but the essence in the locker room, right? I mean, you you win basketball games on the plane ride, on the bus ride, and in the training room. That's where the winning takes place at. You know, like like Hamilton say, I want to be in a room where it happens. Mm. Those are the three rooms where it happens. And Jamal Crawford impacts every single one of those rooms that allows people to get out on the floor and feel good about themselves. I mean, Q, in New York, Jamal Marbury, two lethal guard combinations. Marbury being from New York, going through a lot of emotional things that he was going through in New York. Like most people don't realize, Marbury's father died in the stands watching him play while the New York fan audience was booing his son. I remember that. Mm. And they booed when they did the damn moment of silence at the damn anthem. So I'm, and and I'm watching Marbury go through tough situations, you know, personally within his family. Then you know his his, his mom, you know, I mean his dad, and then having to deal with, you know, so the, all of that's going on. And Jamal Crawford, I mean Q, you was going through your stuff, mm-hmm. you know, because we we was dealing with a lot of. Death, yeah. mm-hmm. right? Uh, and and the NBA wasn't equipped at that time to handle any of that. So we dealing, and and then on top of that, my mother died. <laughs> yeah, <it> was, <laughs> you know, was, not to not to laugh or make joke of it, but but Jamal Crawford during that period of time, you talking about somebody showing up for practice every day with the same attitude, playing the same way. And then you had Nate doing all his crazy, and Jamal like, "Come on, Nate, you can't, you can't do that right now." Seattle boys. I remember, I remember Nate. I remember Nate was was was, was going off on on something, and, and Nate couldn't stop. Like once he get wind, wound up, and you know he was young, right? He he just have to keep talking, right? And and I remember I turned around and I looked at Nate, and I was getting ready to go off on Nate, and Jamal just like moved and stood right in front of Nate, so I couldn't see him. Bro, it was literally it, it was to the point where like we'd be on a bus or the plane or something, Nate would be doing so much, he'd Nate, and they go sit down, he'd be like, Oh man. But we had fun. We had a lot of fun. I have to. 
I have to bring this up because the world don't know it. But like so, like he just said, how he hold it down, the OG, the big homie. <laughs> so seriously though, cause like so back in 06, right, when when my brother got killed, Zeke, this is this is way above and beyond what whatever teams, teams don't are do supposed that. to do or teams whatever. Do like that. when I say the way you held me down. Me and the fam, yeah. always love. Yeah. And everybody need to know it because, you know, whatever, shit get talked about, whatever. I know. And what he did for me and my family, not only then. Yeah. When my brother passed, I don't even want to say everything he did. Just know that it was above and beyond. <laughs> you feel me? What, what, what any team or anybody was going to do, the whole team flight, everybody came to the funeral, but... But just forget about that, just for real. The whole support, the weeks after when I was wilding, yeah. like like Zeke was Zeke was there, like, yo, support. you gotta chill out, bro. Like you got you know what I'm saying? Like and then you fast forward to even when the robberies and stuff was happening in Chicago. Like yeah. no teams ain't doing this. It was plenty of people playing at hoops, working out at hoops, staying, living in Chicago. Anybody that was with us, the Knicks. Zeke made sure. I don't even know how. He asked. He got our addresses. Then we got texts, and he telling us like, "Listen, y'all gonna have unmarked cars at the crib on patrol twenty four seven to this situation gets gets dealt with." And literally, two unmarked cars on the crib doing walk arounds every hour on the hour. We be on the back porch playing dominoes, kicking it, playing music, and we see a dude, hey, hey, Mr. Rich, just doing my hour walk. I'm like, yeah. <laughs> like straight, straight. And I'm talking about straight up and down until they caught the people that did it, they was there. Yeah. Like we ain't like, you know, the whole city, all the hoopers and everybody was on alert. They all trying to rob NBA players and follow them home and all that. We ain't worried about nothing. Yeah. So I want everybody to know how the homies the OG really, really Absolutely. when it mattered, like not no talk, not no nothing, like showed and proved. Yeah. And you always got my love. It's mutual, brother. Love you too forever. All right, man. So as we wrap up, we gotta show our love. This is the D Miles, aka Knucklehead, Black oh. Boss. Got you some little merch. That's what I'm Hoodie, talking about. Hat. And then you know we got very, very special sponsors. Hennessy, very special, and they gave you hit you with the with the Knuckleheads edition bottle Ooh, for the legend. Man, y'all got Knucklehead edition. Y'all got on the on the. It on ain't, the it ain't you know, we ain't we ain't we don't own it like Sherlock. You know what I'm saying? We got a sponsorship. <laughs> you know, no, well, you know, we should talk. Yeah, come on, man. You know, you know. <laughs> you know when you when you got land, you you can do hey, some things. You now <laughs> no, this is great. Did you ever think when y'all started doing that? That it would develop into all of this, yeah, this and, and still living. Had no, no thought. Still living. Blessing. That's the blessing of this game. This game wow. can take you so many different ways. This is beautiful, man. theplayerstribute.com